Good evening, fellow travelers. It is, uh, I haven't had cotton mouth for a long time, and I just got a bad case of it, so. But the Lord's much bigger than that. You know, when uh, Brother Joe called me, it seems like yesterday, and asked me to speak at one of these uh, evenings, uh, I told him this. I said, if the Lord gives me a burden, then I'll speak. And then the Lord gave me a burden, and I said, no, I don't want to speak. <laughs> I don't want that. But I had already made the deal with Brother Joe, so I had no choice uh, in the matter. So, um, this evening, we do have a little burden. But I honestly don't think it's mine. I think it's the Lord's. And so, um, hopefully, as we wait together before the Lord, He can bless us richly. Um, we are travelers on a very dangerous road. The road home from Bethel. We're going to spend some time on that road tonight because there's a lion that's lurking on the road home from Bethel. And uh, you probably uh, know where we're going, but you can open your Bibles to 1 Kings. And uh, we have, my prayer group is actually going to read this for you tonight in narration because we want to somehow, if we can create just a little bit of a sense of the dialogue that's going on in 1 Kings 13. So, brother, if you would do that, let's hear the reading, the narration of 1 Kings 13. You can just stand up here. Give me half thine house, 
I will not I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. <coughs> And the words which he had spoken unto the, unto the king, then they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way were you? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass. And he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto them, Art thou the man of God that comest from Judah? I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go with, go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said unto me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel came unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back into my house, that he may eat and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and did <coughs> bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten and drunk water in the place, of which the Lord did say, Eat no bread, and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread, and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way, and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by, and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, is the man, is, It is the man of God, who is disobedient unto the Lord. Wherefore God hath delivered him unto the mouth of the lion, which hath torn him, and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his sons, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, and laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he 
laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his sons, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel, and against all the houses of the high places which are in the city of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jer Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Wheresoever, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And the thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Thank you for that. There is, uh, if I were to ask any of the medical professionals to explain uh, the set of symptoms. Now, a syndrome is a set of symptoms. And so if I said, I'm going to give you a syndrome and tell me what the problem is, most of them could, could nail it right on. If I said, if a person has back pain, they have fever, and they've got chills, and they've got white blood cells in the urine, what do they have? And they would say, a pyelonephritis or a kidney infection. That is a syndrome. And, and people in medicine begin to think in terms of, of groupings of symptoms and syndromes. There's a syndrome tonight that I'm much more worried about. It is a syndrome where there is a, an individual that seems extremely spiritual, an individual with knowledge of God, an individual who's making forays even into enemy territory, who then throws it all away in the same day and disobeys his God. I'm very concerned about what happens on the road home from Bethel. Tonight I want to present to you this man of God. That is his name. Man of God. A bold, spiritual man. A man who had the gift of healing. A man who was willing to oppose kings. A man who was commissioned by God. The man of God. Um, he showed powerful signs that by the end of the day he had denied his God. What was the matter with this man? I'm going to make a suggestion. There could be many possibilities. But I believe that this man was void of personal conviction. I don't think that he was personally convicted at the level of his own heart. And so tonight, that's what I really want to focus on, is the development of personal convictions in the heart. This man on the surface was the real deal. His message was threatening. A king was going to be born that was going to come and cleanse the land. A king would burn bones on that altar. And it was going to be, uh, it was going to be destroyed. He was bold. He went with a threatening message. Imagine opposing a king with a message like that. And, and the things that he said immediately came to pass. Imagine as, as King Jeroboam reached out to grab him and his hand dried up. That is power. 
He looked at his hand, and there was it was probably white and hard, and there was no blood or life in it. And then he cries out, Pray for me! Then he prays, and suddenly life starts coming back into his hands. The sinews and muscles start working again, and he can use it. That's power. Tremendous power. Um, this man was in touch with God, very much in touch, it seems. Tremendous resolve. Did you hear the resolve he had? The king, out of his gratitude, come home and eat with me. And he said, no, I will not come home with you. I cannot. I will not. Tremendous resolve. Who wouldn't be impressed by a man like that? Wouldn't we think he was a very, very spiritual man? fact is, as he headed out and he started home on the road home from Bethel, I would have said, as a casual observer, that that man, is, is, he is walking into the hall of the faithful. That's where I would have guessed he was going. That is, until he came to that oak tree. And I don't know if his steps begin to slow, and he comes to this oak, and he started to sit down. Now, we know the end of the story, and when you read that, don't you just want to say, No, no, don't sit down under that oak tree. But he sat down. And I have so many questions for him that I, would, that I would love to ask him at that point. Why are you sitting down? Why are you resting under this oak tree? What, what, are, you, what, is, what are you hoping for? Are you wanting to talk about your experience with somebody? Are you just hoping that maybe there will be a little bit of glory before you leave for you? What is it that you really want, man of God? As you're sitting down under the oak tree, he was torn because the command of God was specific. You go home. Do your job and go home. You don't stay in that place. You are to go home another way. You are not to eat any bread or drink any water in that place. But on the other hand, there was something in him that there was a desire of his flesh I'm not exactly sure what it was. As he sat there, as he sat there, this man comes up and he says, Hey, I'm a Christian just like you. How are you doing here? Yeah. Hey, I had a dream about you last night. Really? Can't you see the guy getting in? Really? You had a dream about me? Yeah, he said an angel talked to me about you. An angel? Can't you see this guy getting excited? An angel had a message about me. Yeah, the angel said, go tell him to come back to your house and eat bread and, and drink a little water. How did... Uh, it came straight from heaven. But as our brothers told us, but it was a lie. This man hadn't had a dream. He hadn't talked to an angel. And it wasn't the voice of God. He had talked to his sons. His sons had told him everything that happened in town that day. I want to suggest several reasons why the man of God went home with a false prophet. I think he rather liked the idea that people were having dreams about him. I think he had an overrated sense of his personal spirituality. He had an overflated opinion of himself. 
I think he doubted that God really meant what he said. And he was not prepared to withstand the deception because he had no personal conviction on the issue. Verse 16 says this, And he said, I may not return with thee. Now, I don't know, I don't want to read too much into that word may, but, but when I tell my children, you may not do that, that's the sense I'm thinking of. And he says, I may not go home with you. There was a very subtle shift that happened under that oak tree. You see, he said, I'm not allowed to go home with you. God is not letting me eat bread with you. Yea, hath God said. And he was struggling in his mind because he had gone, it really was not his own conviction. The account tells us that he did just that. He went and he ate and um, he had barely left the city before a lion roared out of the grass and slew him. I want you to notice the change in the language that happens from that moment on. What was known as a man of God is now referred to as a carcass. A carcass is something that's dead. It has no life. A carcass cannot move. A carcass is but a few hours from rotting. A carcass cannot be revived. A carcass is what he became. He went in one day from a man of God to a carcass by the side of the road. From man of God to carcass. I want you to know that there were two very loud messages that came to Bethel that day. The first message was the judgment of the all-righteous, holy God upon that nation. And I just had this feeling that for a couple of hours after he was there and spoke with Jeroboam, the city trembled. I think Jeroboam trembled. We don't know that. That's supposition. But they had the judgment of God, the sign of God, upon them as a nation. But there was another message that came in a few hours later. And it was a canceled message because somebody brought the message back to town. And they said, the old coot is now a carcass. He is dead and rotting beside the road. And I think there was rejoicing. I think the town immediately went back to its sinful ways. The, the, last, of this says, the last of this account says these things. After this thing, I think it was this message that came back, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but he made again of the lowest of the people, priest of the high places, whosoever would he consecrated him, and he made and and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and destroy it from off the face of the earth. That nation had an opportunity to repent. They saw the hand of God and they heard the message at the voice of a man of God until the cancel order came. And then this thing became sin and Jeroboam went back to his old ways worse than before. It's a tragic tale. It's, a, it's the worst possible outcome. A man of God lies dead 
and a wicked king goes on justified in his sins. The road home from Bethel, there's a lion lurking there. Oh, I want to just bless the Lord tonight that he didn't kill the ass. You know, when those people came out there, they saw two things. They saw three things. Carcass, lion, and ass. And the ass was not torn. I see two things. That lion justifies, is the rightful justice of God. That's what he represents. But I want to show you how merciful that our God is. He didn't let that lion touch the ass. That ass was innocent in this issue. And that ass represents the mercy of our God. Anywhere you find our God, you're going to find the right proportions of His righteous judgment and His mercy. Amen. The lion and the ass. I want to make it very clear tonight that if we are not filled with personal convictions, it won't be long until we're taken in by a false prophet. We will be deceived by feigned spirituality, which will lead to disobedience, and the end result is death. This man had no problem telling that wicked king he was not eating bread in his house. But you know who he couldn't stand up to? Was a man who said, I am a prophet too. Open your Bibles to Second Peter, chapter two. Second Peter, chapter two, and let's read just a few verses about the reality of walking on the road home from Bethel. Verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. That is the reality. I know we tend to shy away from those types of verses, because it, it doesn't seem nice to talk about. But it's the truth of the road home from Bethel. Now, if I understand history right, most of the martyrs have died at the hands of their fellow Christians. My wife and I were in a large sanctuary of Christians um, last year at the homeschooling conference. Maybe some of you have heard me tell this story. But their opening invocation, they, they asked us to stand and sing, To God be the glory. And I can tell you it was powerful 
like being in here tonight. It was rich. We just unleashed ourselves with those people and felt so blessed. But in just a second, it seemed like, the attitude shifted 180 degrees because the next thing on the agenda was a pledge to the allegiance of this kingdom. This kingdom. And the, the fervor and the, the, the attachment to it came through with tremendous zeal. And we suddenly felt alone. I had fear within me because I felt very keenly that these would be the people that will nail this body to the stake. That is the reality. I brought with me tonight a book about one of my ancestors. He was one of the last martyrs that was beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you some of the narrative that happened as he was walking to the pit where he was killed. Listen to the people involved. He was beheaded. A minister spoke to him further. Why do you separate yourselves from us? To this Hans answered, because you're not blameless. blameless. You do not conduct yourselves properly. They are walking to the pit. And this is the conversation that is happening. You do not lead an irreproachable life. The minister asked, who are such persons? To this Hans answered, to those whom God gives grace and whom God has cleansed. Then the minister said, we are also human and cannot be angels. Hans answered and said, what did the holy apostle say to Titus concerning the conduct of the teacher? In reply to this, the minister referred to a parable. A farmer had a field. He took good seed and planted the field. After that he can do no more. If God does not give his blessing, therefore we too can proclaim the holy word of God, but we can do no more. Then Hans answered, the Lord says that a true Christian's teacher, a true Christian teacher's instruction will bear good fruit as the rain in the evening and the dew in the morning. Hans continued, it's not enough to hear the word, one has to believe it and follow it. The Lord says not the hearer of my word will be saved, but he who does it. Further the Lord says, blessed are you if you know it and do it. Therefore, it is all in vain if you hear it often. Know much, but still do not follow it and repent from your sin. The ministers then quoted many other scriptures. To this Hans answered, I know all that already and have told you a long time ago, my lords, that you should w live and walk. They are walking right now. They are walking to the pit according to the command of Christ after the example of the apostles. Otherwise, I don't need you and no force must be applied. I would like to come to you even in this hour, but since you do not live and walk according to the teachings of Christ and his apostles, I do not want you, nor do I need you. I do not desire you. In all of 30 years, I have never wanted to attend your services because you do not lead a better life and walk. The minister said, In the Wellenberg, you quoted to us from the parable of the prodigal son. To this, Hans answered, Yes, I hope I've changed with the prodigal some 30 years ago. Then they brought him something to drink. Then they asked him, who had called him to the ministry. To this, Hans answered, I believe that God and my church have called me. Then a minister accused him and said, You know that you have been proven wrong on the basis of holy scriptures. And on and on. Then there was a discussion of the shameless world and how they're wicked and quick to follow curiosities. And to, and to this, Hans said, And not because they want to be better. And then speaking to the ministers, he said, Another minister accused him of acting against the authorities. And it goes on and on. And when Hans was led to the little house, the main pit, he witnessed to his faith and said again, Yes, I believe steadfastly that God
bitter suffering and death and not through my own works upon his confession of faith the minister said that is right yes that is right oh the executioner said is it not true Grandpa Hans you joyously awaited this hour to which Hans replied yes certainly I have joyously awaited this hour why should I not be happy for I believe steadfastly and in this hour I will see my God and Father with mine own eyes yes I am in no doubt and when they had taken Hans to the main pit, he goes on, and this he knelt down, and for his faith, and upon his confession, died willingly and gladly. He was cheerful and brave until his very end. I'll read why he was indicted. This was his indictment. He baptized again those who had been baptized as children. He performed marriages. He preached in barns and in forests. He had been banned under oath from the city and the country, but contrary to that, he came back later. He said that no Christian could be a ruler. He and his fellow prisoners had once broken out of jail with a, an iron instrument. Since he was guilty on all these points, he was given to the executioner who was asked to carry out the judgment. Why do you need to develop personal convictions? The first reason is that if your spirituality is not undergirded by a deep inner conviction, a lion is lurking. That's the first reason. Second reason, there is a chance that you may belong to a church that is not teaching you personal conviction. There was a time, I think it was maybe in Gideon's time, maybe it was in Deborah's time, but there were times among the people of God when it was so dark that there wasn't anybody teaching personal convictions. I don't know where everyone comes from here tonight. I hope you're in a setting that's teaching deep personal convictions, but you might not be. The fact is, you might even be in a position where people are mocking your convictions. You might even be in a setting where people are saying, well, if you were truly converted, you wouldn't need to, to hold yourself to all that kind of legalism. There are many things that are hurled at a person who is willing to have a personal conviction. It's a personal thing. Um, meaning that you may hold a deep conviction that isn't necessarily one that someone else needs to hold. It is a personal conviction. You need to develop it because it's for you. Um, another one is that that which you do not embrace at the level of your own heart is not yours. It's somebody else's. We have a seeker family that's coming among us. We love them dearly. We have high hopes for them. But he was sitting in our living room here a little week or so ago, and he said, he's just struggling. He says, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen when we join your church and we have to tell our family when we go over that we don't watch TV. He says, you know, there's a family get-together on the beach once a year, and what, what are we going to tell them that we can't, our church won't let us go to the beach? And I said, well, well, I'll tell you. If you don't own the conviction in your own heart, it is indeed going to seem ridiculous to anyone you try to communicate it to. And furthermore, before the day is over, it's going to seem ridiculous to you. That's why, another reason, you need to settle some convictions deep down in your heart, or soon you'll be laughing at yourself. True spirituality, finally, 
grows in the soil of a truly convicted heart. I'm working right now with a couple of young Anabaptist boys. They grew up with ministers for dads in stable church environments and they had just about all the good teaching you can give a boy. And you know what? They hardly got two convictions to rub together. They know what was wrong with their dad, their church, the community, and the world in general. And that's about it. You know what I've been begging them to do? Drive us! You're floating until you draw a line or drive a stake. You're going with the flow. But when you do that, it is a declaration that I'm not going home to eat with you and I'm not drinking water at your house. So help me God. Now what is, in the, what is not in the Bible is personal convictions. Look for it. You're not going to find it. fact is, you probably aren't even going to find the word convictions in the Bible. If Strong's has it right, you will find the word convicted once. Uh, that comes from John chapter 8 where they had brought an adulterous woman to them and after I think it was 15 words, Jesus got them to go out one by one. Someone said this morning when, when uh, uh, Brother Anthony said that when God created the stars, he said... Uh, and he made those stars also. Was that what it was? And he made the stars also. Six words, and he created the entire galaxy, and it took 15 to convict these men's hearts. But anyway, that's kind of a side thing. Um, but um, this is what happens when you read the Bible. You don't see the word, per, the phrase personal convictions, but, but it is completely through this book. This book is full of men that were deeply, deeply convicted men. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua's addressing the people and he says, folks, he says, uh, let's look and see where we got our similarities. Bring your Amorite God and I'll bring my Egyptian God and we'll see what we can uh, agree upon and we'll worship together. That is not what he said. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There was no compromise. He wasn't telling them they had to. He said, just make a choice, but we're serving the Lord, myself and my house. He was 110 years old, for those of you that are pushing that here. Um, and uh, it's, it's good to be able to boldly state a conviction like that and the next thing he did was die. If you read the rest of the chapter, he died right after that. Wouldn't that be a great thing to say if you're right about ready to die? As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Well, there's other men in the Bible that were deeply convicted men. Daniel did not wake up one morning and have the strength to go to his open window and pray to God while the enemies were simmering on the street. A long time before this, he had set his heart to be faithful to his God. It was deeply rooted in his life. And there was no lines that were going to take that out of his heart or away from the window. Listen, it was only for 30 days. I mean, couldn't he have just stopped praying for 30 days? The law wasn't that stiff. Just take a break from God for 30 days. But he wouldn't do it. No, he knew the road that he was on from Bethel. Now, um, when he was in that den, I just 
I just want you to know that wafting up from that den was the aroma of personal convictions. And I want you to compare the effect that it had on King Darius with the effect that the man of God had on Jeroboam. That Darius, he came, he came running to the den the next morning. Is your God able to save you? Ah, King, live forever. The angel has stopped their mouths. Oh, the power of a convicted man. It's powerful. Not for 30 days. Well, how about for one song? Just one song. I remember three young men who were standing all alone amidst thousands of people that should have known better. And the command was, fall down for the song, but not for one song. You know, these men didn't get to the point that they could go into that smoking furnace overnight. Not at all. Do you know where it started? By not taking the first bite. When they were brought into that kingdom, they were told that they were going to be fed the king's meat. And they said, no, we can't do that. We cannot eat your food. We cannot drink your wine. We will not. I think their mothers and dads were long dead. But there was something burning in these men. They weren't obligated to believe that. No one forced them. There were no preachers telling them they had to. These men had decided somewhere along the line that this was... It might have been given to them by their parents, but by this time it was their conviction in their heart. And they weren't going to do it for one bite. Not for one bite. And that prepared them for the day when they could stand against all those other men that were falling down for one song. Hebrews 11 is a chapter of personal conviction. The chapter is not about people in established churches. Many of these people lived among others that simply didn't understand them. They often had unpopular messages. Many of them did not come from a heritage of faith. Most of them lived their lives all alone. But they had one thing in common. They clung tenaciously to that deep conviction of faith. And when the opportunity came to be delivered, they did not accept it. Ah, these were convicted men. The moment of deliverance came, and they did not accept it. Not for a bite, a song, or even one month's sabbatical from prayer. It has been illustrated before that personal convictions are a lot like firewalls. Now, I'm not in construction, but I do understand that when a person builds a uh, building that an awful lot of work goes into preparing the building for fire, as unlikely as that may seem when you're building a new building. But, but the architects put pipes and sprinklers in the building. 
and they, they use fire-resistant materials. And then they build these fire walls. Walls that are within the building that the fire cannot cross. Well, have you established any firewalls in your own life? Are there any areas of your spiritual life that's suddenly waving a sign up for negotiation? Have you made any determinations in your heart that are well set before the fire comes? I want to talk a little bit about some convictions that ought to be rock solid in the believer's heart. Hebrews 6 calls them principles, and it gives us a list of them. And um, these are things that the Christian needs to have settled, not just living on them, because he needs to move off of them. Actually, the Bible says, once you have these principles settled in your heart, then you need to move on to perfection. And these were the, this was the list. You can get them there in Hebrews 6 if you choose to um, look at them. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms. Laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead. Eternal judgment. And the recognition that we will only do what God permits. Now these are fundamental principles that are to undergird the spiritual man of God. These principles. And, uh, you know, these things need to be embraced and believed in. Now, I know it seems a little ridiculous to be talking about these things to this group. But just take, for instance, if you get a little tiny bit fuzzy on the resurrection. You just a little, you're just not quite sure about the resurrection. Paul used this as an illustration. about If you don't believe in the resurrection, there's a whole lot of things that are now up for grabs. This is what he says. He says, Then Christ is not risen. Then your faith is vain, and what this man is doing tonight is in vain. Your witnessing of Christ, because you are witness, you are found false witnesses of Christ. You're a false witness. Men are still living in their sins. Then those that are dead are perished, and, and we are standing in jeopardy every hour. Look at the ramifications of fuzziness on just that one simple doctrine of their resurrection. Now, you know, to us, we say this is a no-brainer. Of course, I believe in the resurrection. I've always believed in it forever. Uh, it's a firm conviction for me. Nobody can steal this one. But um, in Paul's day, it was a reality. It was a real issue. The church, as they were going out to make converts, they knew that there was another group on the street called the Sadducees that were preaching that there is no resurrection. And it was critical that they establish that as a foundational truth before they went out. Because they were going to be working against them. <coughs> to have compromised just a little bit on the resurrection would have been to throw away the whole of Christianity. So often, in compromise on a principle, so much more is lost than what first met the eye. The man of God had no idea what he was throwing away in his act of disobedience. Oh, that someone could have got a hold of him ahead of time and said, this is what's going to happen when you eat that bread and drink that prophet's water. 
The wicked king is going to go unjustified in his sins. A nation is going to be lost. It's going to continue on in opposition to God. Your wife is going to become a widow over this one. And your children are going to be fatherless. A lion is going to rip out your heart. And you're going to throw away your salvation. And you're going to trade the title of man of God for carcass. Oh, you'd probably say, I thought this was just a conversation about a bite of bread and a drink of water. Don't get so legalistic with me. It's just a little bread and water. But it was so much more than that. Well, um, it's critical that the man of God establish in his heart long before he ever leaves Bethel that God's Word is absolutely true. Oh yes, it might sound ridiculous. might sound unfair. And you may not understand why God's telling you not to do that. But you better embrace it. Because God said it. Well, um, are you prepared to meet the accusations of the apostate church. A few years ago, a man from Wilder, Idaho, which is down the road from where we live, walked into a remnant congregation in the middle of Idaho, and he walked into that congregation, and the first-hand witnesses that came and met with us told us that this man was spiritual. He was powerful. He was having visions and everybody bought into him, and the church was destroyed in two weeks. They came to meet with us because they said he's living next to you. Are you ready for the fire? Well, I heard uh, tell some time ago uh, a man that made a bold claim that if he could spend five minutes with any Anabaptist woman, he could talk the prayer covering right off their head. You ready for the fire? I read a thesis actually against the head covering right before I came here. Hot off the press. I'll let that alone. What's lacking? What's going on? Somewhere personal convictions aren't finding their way into the heart. Firewalls are not being built and when the heat comes, the house is destroyed and the heart is confused and the soul is lost. How many of you have read The Whirlwind Cometh? Just a few of you. Wonderful. I'm going to read to you from The Whirlwind Cometh tonight. Um, I didn't see. Dave, did you raise your hand? Oh, this is a book from your hometown. Well, from Ontario, actually. So this is a fictional book written in 2000. The author is not known. He kept himself hidden. It's set in Canada, in Ontario. A man, a young upstart, a young Canadian, is elected John Smith to the to the uh, to be the um, what do you call him up there? Prime. Thank you. The Prime Minister. We're not used to having them. He was elected to be the Prime Minister of Canada. This fella came in with some, with some great ideas. He was going to wipe out drugs, take care of crime, 
and he was going to put all the youth to work. And he had in his mind something called the youth, uh, the YEP, the Youth Employment Program. And it was going to be set up by the military, the, the government, and they were going to go through military training, they were going to learn good morals, and, or not morals, but good ethics, I guess, and they were going to go out and they were going to change Canada. But the problem is, uh, pretty soon, pretty early on, it became, um, it, it became known to him that the Mennonites were not going to participate in this program. And uh, his cabinet got together. It was actually, I think, the first gathering of the cabinet. And someone told him about these Mennonites. And he says, well, we need, to, we need to know something about them. And so the man pulled out his laptop and he typed in Mennonites. And this is what he read. Okay, Crown leaned back in his chair and said, here we go. He said with an air of satisfaction, Mennonite and Amish churches originated in Europe in the 16th century. They were the extremists of the Protestant Reformation. They believed in the restoration of the New Testament church, believers' baptism, instead of baptism, and complete separation of church and state. They refused to participate in carnal warfare or swear oaths. Smith raised his eyebrows. Sounds interesting. He hit another couple more keys. Simons, a Dutch priest who left the Catholic Church and joined the Anabaptist movement, has numerous writings, including a description of his understanding of the true church. According to Simons, the true church must have pure doctrine, scriptural use of the Lord's Supper, and baptism, obedience to the Word, love, and a willingness to witness, and willingness to suffer. Crown stopped reading and resumed pushing keys, and he found another entry. Today, Mennonites are well known for their mouth-watering cooking, barn-raising, and bull auctions. They're a major tourist attraction in some places. Crown stopped reading, looked up in astonishment. Peter Campbell cleared his throat. I expect we're going to have some trouble with these people. And trouble they had. They, they, they took a guy from the secret police and they told him, we want you to infiltrate these people and we want you to learn everything that you can learn about these people. And so this young man entered into their community and he began hobnobbing with all of their young people and, and worked at the local hardware store and, and he sent back all kinds of stories. But at the end of his, his time, he basically said, I can't tell you whether they're, they're, they're genuine or not. He says there's some that are genuine and there's some that are not and, and you cannot just blanket statement all these people. And so John Smith decided that at that point they were not going to be just let off the hook and one Sunday morning, while everyone was sitting in church, the YEP uh, walked into every meeting house, and they took all the boys and all the girls that were eligible age, loaded them up on the buses, and headed off to the barracks. Then, the next day, they began a series of interrogations. They set up tribunals of three men to interrogate these young people and find out if they were the real thing. I thought about doing a tribunal tonight, and trying to figure out, but, but I knew you were all the real thing, and so it just wouldn't have been quite like this. And, but I do want to read to you a few stories. When is this supposed to be over? 8.30? Okay. Well, I want to read to you, starting with John Martin. So John Martin was the third applicant interviewed by Tribunal Number 4. He was tall and handsome. He was a young man with black hair and blue eyes. He had worn his plain suit and combed and washed carefully. He was a very outgoing fellow and extremely popular in his youth group. The other boys tended to do what he said and not one of the girls would have refused uh, a, um, a request for a courtship. He expected no problems with the tribunal, for he was a gifted speaker, and he was escorted into the room. As he was escorted into the room, he smiled confidently at the three men sitting behind the table. Good morning, he began. I am. Sit down and shut up, ordered the man in the center. John was surprised, but he complied. The fellow before him must have really given them a rough time, he decided. 
Do you wish to volunteer for the youth employment program, asked the man in the center. Of course not, John answered indignantly. I don't agree with the government about it. The man to his right watched him with, a narrow, with narrow eyes. He had already made up his mind about John. Now, the thing that they were deciding was, if you got an exemption, you, you got an exemption. If you didn't get the exemption, you were, you were enlisted into this program as an involuntary entrant. Um, and if you refuse that, they sent you out to be persecuted. Anyway, um, anyhow, I lost my place. He didn't know he said anything. Really. Um, the man said, uh, oh yeah, he already had his mind about John. This boy's got an ego the size of a CN Tower, he thought. I suppose you've gone to the Mennonite Church all your life, he asked. Why, of course, John answered. Are there any members in your church who are not raised in Mennonite families? That was the man in the center again. No, said John, wondering where all this was leading. It's been two hours and I before preparing his defense. Why am I going to get to give my speech? Why not? That was the man on his left. Why not? Speaking of the people from the outside. Because they don't want to come in, I guess, John answered. We don't mix with the outsiders if we can avoid it. I guess I never really thought about it. The man in the center scowled. Have you ever used words like chink, slant, and such like? Oh, well, maybe sometimes you admit it. Do you think Indians are lazy? Do you think Jews are misers? Have you ever expressed ideas like that to anyone? John shifted uncomfortably. I don't know. I think you're a racist, observed the man to his left. Do you think you would be a Mennonite if your parents weren't Mennonite? Asked the man on his right. I never thought about it before, John protested. Well, think about it, snarled the man in the center. John was trembling. His self-confidence melted away. Why was he a Mennonite? He went to church every Sunday. He'd gone through instruction class at age 16 along with all the other 16-year-olds. He'd been baptized and become a church member. The church directed his life. The church said the YEP was wrong. Anything that interfered with their title of community was wrong. He'd lived this way all his life. He never considered living any other way. And he looked up at the three men and they were all scowling at him. They were the outsiders. His parents was always warning about. And now he was in their... I was raised a Mennonite, he said weakly. I, I can trace my Mennonite lineage back ten generations. I agree with everything my church teaches. I never considered living any other way. The man in the center looked at the man on the left and he shook his head. Then he looked at the man on the right and he shook his head. And then he turned to John. We, have, we respect your appreciation you have for your own culture. The one purpose of the YEP is to teach you to appreciate or at least accept the cultures of others. And you have failed to demonstrate any genuine conviction of your own. Well, let's have another one, if you'll indulge me. Reuben Stickley, announced the guard, the senior member of the Tribunal No. 10, glanced up at the latest applicant. According to the paperwork this youth had just passed his 18th birthday, and he looked at two. Do you wish to volunteer for the youth employment program, the man asked. The boy had been clutching his black hat with both hands. The Tribunal watched as one hand left the hat and took hold of the right suspender strap. Answer the question, please, ordered the officer on the right. Uh, no, stammered Reuben. Why not? That came from the civilian volunteer sitting on the left. Uh, the army trainer. I don't want to do it. Why not? Reuben shut his eyes and tried to think. After a long silence, he said, uh, it's, it's wrong. The man in the center let out an exasperated sigh. Trying to get information from this youth was like pulling teeth. Why do you think it's wrong? Uh, uh, because, because, because the Bible says so. Well, we need more of an explanation than that. Reuben hung his head. I wish Dad was here. Dad can tell these things better than me. The tribunal is not interested in knowing what your father believes, growled the officer. Reuben tried again. But I believe the same as him. You mean you just do whatever your parents say, snapped the man in the center? Reuben was confused. Ah, uh, yes, I, I try to be obedient, but sometimes I fail, and then I ask Dad to forgive me, and I, ask, and, and, and I do ask God to forgive me. The man on the right made a note 
of that. All right, all right, Ruben. Is there any other reason you object to joining the YEP? He asked. Uh, I want to live out in the world. I don't even like to go to town by myself, the youth added. The officer on the right stared at Ruben. Why not? Uh, because, because of the way some men talk. The boy's voice, voice fluttered, faltered, uh, about things. The man in the center rubbed his chin, then he turned to the other man on the right. One more. They had to have one for the girls. Why do you dress that way? Do women only do, uh, most women only put on a dress for special occasions. Do you wear dresses like that all the time? Susan Brubaker tried to think of a convincing answer to give to Tribunal 7. Well, the Bible said, does say, women are not to wear men's clothes. I didn't know that, smiled the man. In the center to Susan, he seemed kind and friendly. She didn't know, of course, that he was a, one of the best interviewers of the secret police. You have your Bible with you. Why don't you show us, he continued, still smiling. Susan flipped the pages to Deuteronomy 22, 5. Here it is, she said, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to the man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do such are an abomination of the Lord thy God. Well, let me see that, said the man in the center, as he pretended to be surprised. He took the Bible from Susan and read the verse out loud. Then he shook his head, then he looked at Susan. I've never read this before. He lied. I hardly know anything about the Bible. Uh, that part was true, but he didn't know a few verses, and he had already convinced several girls before her to enter the white pea. Let me see what else the book says. He scanned the page. Then he turned over a few, and then he turned back. Susan waited patiently. Then, abruptly, he said, Do you want a farm? Well, yes, answered Susan, wondering why he asked. Did your dad ever sow mixed grains, like oats and barley together? Of course, answered Susan, looking puzzled. Every year. Why do you ask? Well, he said, well, I just read here in Deuteronomy 22.9 that that's the same chapter you read from, and it says, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds. Susan didn't know what to think, so she said nothing. I, I don't mean to shake your trust in your father, but this just doesn't make sense. I mean, why does he insist you wear a dress all the time? Yet he sows mixed grains. Tell me, he continued, keeping his voice soft and kind. Aren't there times when you find it rather uncomfortable to be dressed like that? Susan was confused. That's true, she admitted. And I'm sure there are times when you have wondered why the boys in your church can dress just like everybody else. Well, you have to stick out like a sore thumb. That much was true, too. Not only did she wonder, she often been angry about it. The agent watched her carefully. He knew from the change in her facial expressions that he had touched a nerve. Have you ever seen young people in your hometown after they enrolled in YP? Susan nodded. They look very impressive in their uniforms, don't they? And that's just not the girls, either. <laughs> we expect the girls to wear distinct dress, and, and we, don't, uh, we don't expect the girls to wear distinct dress and let the boys wear whatever they feel they like. He paused, giving Susan time to think. Now, Susan, he said soothingly, we only don't want to hurt your parents, but it's your life. Do you really want to spend it in church with unfair rules? I mean, if dress standards were important, they'd have strict rules for the boys, too, wouldn't they? She looked up at him and she said, Is it too late to change my mind? Can I still volunteer for the YMP? Well, I can't even bend in the rules, maybe. But we haven't made a ruling yet. Look to the right, look to the left. Guard, the agent called. Take this woman back to the barracks. She's just volunteered.
little white peat. The problem with these young people is obvious. They were not personally convicted in their own hearts. They had an existence in an Anabaptist church. They were going through the motions. They were even they didn't even convinced themselves of their current standing in the church. They had identified with their heritage, with the rules of the church, many other things. But they weren't convicted in their own heart. I'm afraid that if Jesus was asked to describe these youth, he'd say they're beautiful, just like a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones in a place they should have had convictions. A personal conviction is something that a flaming stake cannot take away from a man. A roaring lion won't cause him to give it up. And a false prophet cannot divorce a man from a conviction in his heart. Our forefathers, many of them are underneath the ground because of little piddly things like infant baptism and whether you had to be a licensed preacher or whether you could perform a marriage or whether you could preach out in the field. Many of them, are, many of them were slaughtered for those kind of things. Why? Because they believed about They believed it in their hearts. Is there anything that you would die for that you would not compromise on? You know why preaching the, the, the resurrection was powerful? I already told you already. One of the reasons was it was being preached that it had never happened out on the street. If you go out on the street today, what are you going to find? What are you going to find, young people, on the street? Something that the church is stumping for and the world is embracing or even the apostate church right now many many religious people are telling telling the masses that homosexuality is compatible with Jesus because Jesus is love they will tell you that divorce and remarriage is right it's compatible with Jesus because he wants you to be happy and they will tell you that any church with any standards, is an apostate church because Jesus brought freedom. Do you have any convictions in your heart that will withstand the fire? Are you ready for the fire? Do you realize that when your body is tied to the stake and it is burnt down to a rubble of ashes, that the only thing that's left is the truth that you were standing on in the flame? They can never take that away when your body is all gone, truth will still cry out. Now, I want to shift quickly, and, and, and uh, I'm willing to sit down at any point, but I, I did want to go into a few more things. I want to talk about how to develop convictions. We, we need to go through this, and then I want to talk a little bit about where you might should make some convictions. Now, the first way to develop convictions is by the living Word of God that has a pulse. It is alive and quick and powerful and sharp. And the only way you're going to be able to make convictions is to listen to that pulse, that the pounding of the heart of the Word of God. Now, I listen to hearts every single day. 
And I'm not that smart about hearts. But I can tell you when it doesn't sound right. That's right. That's wrong. That's wrong. The only way, only way you're going to know is to listen to the pulse of the Word of God. That's what That has to be the foundation for these convictions. I'm going to talk in a little bit about what happens when you make convictions not based on the Word. Um, well, listen to the Word and obey it. Um, now, um, not every conviction that you have has a direct, thus saith the Lord. I want to tell you about the most convicted man I think I know. He's the elder of our congregation. That man has a lot of personal convictions. For instance, he doesn't travel on Sunday if he can help it. He's got convictions against debt. And he's got a lot more convictions that are personal, I'm sure, that I don't even know about. And he's a very godly man. He is not doing these things to try to wiggle his way into heaven on convictions. He wants to be completely sold out in every way to Jesus. That's why he has these convictions. He does not in any way want to be reproached upon his Lord. So although they need to come from the Word, don't just always expect to find a thus saith the Lord for every single conviction. There is also something called the tenor of the Word. It's the music of the Gospel. It is that, it is that message. It is something... Uh, maybe uh, it's like standing outside and you know that they're singing in here these youth and you can't hear the words but you hear that music. Ah, there's a tenor to the word. The voice of the Spirit of God. Oh, listen to that Spirit. When the Spirit speaks to you, listen to Him. You know why? Because if you stop listening to the Spirit, He leaves. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, God cannot talk to you directly. He can talk to you through nature and various other things. But He can't speak directly like He can when His Spirit is living within you. Oh, listen to that Spirit. Balaam had it for a while. But he says, I think I'm going to listen just a little bit longer and see if the Lord has anything else to say. The Lord had spoken definitively into his life. But he thought he would just see if the Lord he could eat a little bit more out of God. Now, um, the third thing is the lives of respectable Christians. People that you can admire. What things have, uh, have men and women of God chosen for personal convictions in the past? I hold up before you another man named uh, Jeroboam tonight. Um, he was another man that um, was a man of, of great convictions. Actually, it wasn't Jer Jeroboam. It was Jonadab. Thank you, all of you Bible students, for correcting me. Jonadab, the son of Rechab. Now, this fella came up with some convictions. Now, where do you read in the law that you can't own land? Or you can't plant seeds? Or you can't have a vineyard? Or you can't drink wine? All of those things are fully permissible under God's laws. But this man suddenly came up with these ideas. And they were convictions. And he passed them on to his children. And a prophet, a true prophet, couldn't even get them ripped out of those children because they were deep-seated convictions. 
Now, what was the what was the uh, essence of that? Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. That was the that was God. That's what He said. The power of personal conviction. If it's if it's the real thing, it delights God. God loves personal convictions. He loved this man's conviction. He said He won't lack a man to sit on the throne. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, a Bible missionary minister that uh, has a little tiny church right down the road from us. Uh, we invited them, him and his wife, down for supper. Emily called them and, and made the arrangements, and then she called me at work and, and said, "Now they're going to come, but uh, he told us that they're only going to—they they only eat vegetables, and they don't eat any um, or milk products and no no meat products." And I'm just like, "Whatever." I mean, it must be the end times. He probably doesn't believe in getting married either. And uh, and so so. That's kind of how I was feeling. But this fellow came in there, and he sat down, and we were sitting there, working through our vegetables. <laughs> and he says this. He said, several years ago, and he's a, he's a pretty good-sized man now, but pretty trim. He said, I was way overweight. Big. My health was bad. I developed diabetes. And he said, I went to bed one night and had a vision. He said, God spoke to me in the night, and he said, you are not going to be in the ministry very much longer. You're going you're to die. And he said, I woke up, and I said to myself, I'm not leaving the ministry, and I'm not going to die like that, and I'm going to eat vegetables if that's what it takes. And the man's a vegetarian, he lost all his weight, and he's still in the ministry. Now that's the power of a personal conviction. Suddenly I was looking at those vegetables in almost holy amazement. And I was wishing that I could have stuff like that in my heart. Well, you know yourself better than anybody else here knows you. You know where you're weak. You know where you're stumbling. You know all about your Achilles heel. Jesus says, get serious. Now he used the used an illustration of surgery. And now he says uh, it would be better to cut some stuff off, rip it out. If it's a wicked hand, cut it off. Come limping into heaven instead of going into hell. You know where you're weak. That's a place you need to start building a wall. Get that hammer going. Erect a wall right there. Don't let me tell you if you were truly converted, you wouldn't need that wall. Not at all. Put up a wall. Mount the defense. Dear ones, if you have to, have everybody mock you for not having an iPhone. Brethren, it's better to go into heaven being mocked for not having an iPhone than into hell with one in your hand. And it's a whole lot better to go into heaven a poor pupper than into hell with a flourishing business. And sisters, it would be better for you to go into heaven a plain Jane than as a beauty queen into the depths of hell. That's what we're talking about. Build a wall. Get some conviction. Establish it before the fire in your heart. The next one, history. History. It just about sends people over the top. You start referencing history. But I want to tell you something. Any man that sat down to try to figure out the right way to go and said, I have no interest in knowing the last 6,000 years on this issue, is a fool. Don't worship it. 
Don't idolize it, but by all means use it. The old devil is very consistent in his ways. We've been hearing that. He repeats himself over and over again in history. Use history when you build some convictions. It's not wrong to do that. Develop convictions on purpose. You need convictions for a purpose. Don't leave this place tonight and just go make some. You need them for a reason. They need to be something you're ready to use as tools. You know, there's a group There's a group of, of people that we love to be with. They're in Idaho. And they came out of a dark church, a dead church, a, a church that's thrown it all away. And they come out and they put, as a, as a several families, they put tremendous emphasis on personal conviction. But I can't tell that it's always convictions for purpose. In fact, there's one of them is he's convicted. I, I love the man, but he's convicted against flowers. And he will not let his wife plant any flowers or any shade trees because they don't have a functional use. There's an old, uh, an old ancient in their group that just got a conviction against singing. Now, how? what is that good for? Uh, it's, it's, but he's got a conviction. And everywhere he goes, people have to dance around him. Of course, I invited him to a singing, but that didn't, that didn't go over. Um, anyway, develop convictions on purpose for a reason. Expect the battle. Know that the fire's coming and develop a conviction. Well, um, anyhow, I want you to, as you develop these convictions, determine your destination and then... Think about the way. Oh, wouldn't it have been nice if the man of God would said, at the end of this night, I'm going to be home by another way without one bite of bread and no water before he set out. Determine where you're going to end up and then start making your convictions about how you're going to get there. Um, and be a convicted man with joy. I think we've all known convicted people that were just loaded down Convictions and, and sour faces and, and, and you look at me and it's like, wow, I think I'll just forget that. Be a convicted man with joy. Uh, many of you don't know Ronnie Miller, but I'll tell you what, he's a convicted man with joy. I just, I haven't seen him for a long time. But Ronnie has as many convictions as anybody here. And he's a joyful fellow, isn't he? Amen, Amen to that. Well, anyway... Um, I, uh, I want to go through quickly just a few areas where I think you should develop some convictions. Doctrinal truths relating to modern day issues. I already told you about that, but uh, God's Word says He hates putting away. And the issue of divorce is a challenging issue. And 50% of the people that we are going to evangelize are going to have experienced that in, in your life. And, and the situations will tug at every heartstring you've got because they're, they're, they're very sad stories. But you need to know what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage and be convicted of that one in your heart. The ramifications of violating that law are much bigger than any one of us can possibly imagine. Be convicted against homosexuality. It is in the paper every single day. It is in the paper. And I want to explain this movement to you. It is, it is 
There has never been another movement that has swept the United States and changed social opinion in as short of time as this movement. It is a modern day issue and it's sweeping this nation, state by state. And what is happening is the federal judges are overriding the state's decisions by majority voice right now. Now, this, this movement is very interesting. Many movements want they want um, acceptance. This movement demands your affirmation. It is not enough for you to say, well, it's okay. They want, or, or I would allow it. The movement demands that you support it. And I don't know, one of the brothers said we might not be, uh, we may not be the ones that go to the stake, I'm not sure, but, but dear ones, that is something that you might be going to, you might be going to the stake over this one. Are you ready for the fire? Are you willing to stand up and say the Word of God is directly, directly contradicts this lifestyle, this way of living? Love that person to the very end. Hans Landis forgave his executioner before he cut off his head. Put your arm around that homosexual person. Tell him that you love him right when he lights that fire. It is a very militant movement and I challenge you to develop some convictions on it. Personal convictions in your own heart because you're going to need them because you live right here in the United States and this is a real issue. I want to do one more uh, under this title Acceptance versus Holiness. Now this is, a, this is something that's happening. We know that it is a fact that God is love. But I ask you tonight, is love God? No! Love is not God. But that's what's being taught. And you must understand this principle. Develop a conviction. God is love. But love is not God. When you compromise on that, and you begin believing that untruth, you are going to violate abundant scriptures. Personal convictions in the areas that you know you are weak, we've already uh, touched on that, so we're not going to go there. Personal convictions for your family. You need to develop some personal, you need to decide, this is where my family is going, and be willing to develop some personal convictions for your family. Um, you need to decide what entertainment is going to look like in your home. You need to understand how you're going to dress your children, how they're going to be educated, and you need to develop some convictions on those things in your heart ahead of time. I would encourage you to develop some personal convictions on relationships right now. As you, as you seek out spouses, some of you young folks, develop some personal convictions. Develop some, some convictions on business. And I could go on and on. I don't even want to go into this. Because they've got to be yours. Trust me. If your church tries to make you do it, or I tell you where you have to build a conviction, I can build the wall, but it won't be long until you're peeking over the top of it. It's got to be yours. You're on the road from home from Bethel. That's where you're at. There is a lion that is lurking. The Word of God is clear. My heart's desire is that that it would not be a facade. Oh, don't have facade Christianity. That's all coming off. 
Make sure who you are is real and genuine all the way through. Let it be those convictions coming out in your life. And uh, I just, uh, I must quit. I would like to end with a song. Lord bless you all. Oh, the road home from Bethel. It's a treacherous road. But God needs people just like you and me. And He calls us to be brave and true in this warfare that is raging. 847. Would someone start there? 847. Okay, the warfare
are you a prisoner? Is there conviction in your heart? Are you a convict? Is there evidence in your life that the things you claim are real? Are you a convict? I'm thinking about a man who was a convict. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Are you a convict tonight? Am I a convict? A very serious message tonight. My fear in testimony is that I would in any way lighten the reality of the Word of God tonight. The road home from Bethel. It's a dangerous road. You know, Bethel was the place where a young man took off and he laid down one night and he dreamed a dream and a ladder reached up to heaven and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending upon that ladder and, and Jacob woke up the next morning and he was scared to death. And he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Beth means the house of. El means God. The house of God. Later in Jacob's life, God told him, Arise and go to Bethel, where I appeared unto you at the first. Jacob arose. He went back to Bethel. But before he went, he said to his family, Put away the strange gods that are among you. And he went to Bethel. There he worshipped and he poured oil upon a stone. And that place was called Bethel. But years later, this king Jeroboam became a little jealous. And he had had an encounter with the prophet of God, a true prophet, who had torn a garment and gave him ten pieces. But Jeroboam began to be a little jealous. And he was worried about people going somewhere else to worship. So the Bible says he built two golden calves and he put one of them in Dan and the other in Bethel. The house of God. He put a golden calf so that people would come to His worship and, and be loyal to His system. And God used this man of God that we've heard about tonight to go back to the house of God of all things, back to Bethel with a message of prophecy. And he went. It's one of the most sobering passages in the Scripture I ever read is this story of the man of God. And I guess those words ring in my ears at the end of that chapter where that false prophet went and he found the carcass. And he said, Alas, my brother, I don't want someday some of you young men to stand over my carcass and say, alas, my brother, 50 years old and you washed out. And I don't want any of you brothers 
Now I tell you, I've had that well up in my heart before. Alas, my brother. Alas, my brother. Don't let it be said of you. This is a sobering message tonight. I don't want to weaken it one bit. Maybe someone else came to your mind as the man of God was mentioned who compromised, who just slowed down a little bit, paused to think about it, and paused to, to talk about it, and paused to rest a little bit from his convicted journey, or was it? Under the oak tree. Maybe someone else comes to your mind. But I want you to come to your mind. Yes, Samson was an example. But my point tonight to each of you is, don't just immediately think of someone else. Ah, I think they're waffling. I think that person. I want, I want to think about Job tonight. What about me, Lord? What about when the door of the room goes click? Now my conviction is going to be manifest. Personal conviction. Not my church's conviction. Not my friend's conviction. Not my parents' conviction. When I'm alone and I'm in the motel and the door goes click. Now, now it's my conviction. Where are we tonight? Where are we tonight? Where's it at? I know. God bless you. There's some fresh conviction here already. But I believe we needed this message tonight. This message of the dangerous road home from Bethel. Is there any teeth in your conviction? I'm not going to talk long. I want you to be thinking about your own convictions. And I want to ask you, is there any teeth in your conviction? Sisters, let me tell you about a godly woman. You can read about her. I've read about her a number of times. But I'm asking you, is there any teeth in your conviction? Men, you can think about this one too. I want to tell you about a lady who would not recant. You can read about the interrogators. You can read about those that tried to get her to give up her faith. She had little children still alive back home. She wouldn't give up her faith. But what about you? Is there any teeth in your conviction? Is there any teeth in my conviction? They lit the fire. I can't remember that lady's name. You can look it up. It's still on record. <coughs> they lit the fire. Later, her children, a couple of them, a couple of her daughters watched. Their mother burnt from the edge of the crowd. The account says that they fainted. Then they woke up and the crowd was dispersed. They went and dug through their mother's ashes and found her teeth. They found, I don't know if it was a filling or what it was. This was clear back in the 1500s. They found her teeth. That woman had teeth in her convictions. What about us? Is there any teeth in your conviction tonight? any teeth in my conviction. I want to make one more point. I'm very blessed by the message tonight. We have prayed that God would give us exactly what we need. We have prayed that this will not be a soft spot 
We have prayed that this will not be a place of itching ears. We've prayed that this will not be a place where we stay superficial, but that we have the Word of God undiluted. We pray that that will continue as it has been all week as we've been hearing about our God, wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, we heard so far this week. We've been hearing about, about Lordship and citizenship. And today we heard about leadership. We've been hearing about the book of the Acts of the Apostles and the church that God established that turned the world upside down. There's something I want to say about conviction. I had this on the wall of my office for a while. And I, I probably put it there, I admit, a little bit out of frustration because I had heard a few too many times, oh, well, I'm just not convicted of that. And that's great, for, but I'm just not convicted of that. And I wrote something like this and put it on my wall. I'm not convicted of that is no excuse for violating the clear teaching of the Word of God. Just because... Well, I, I, I just don't have a conviction of, on that yet. Now, I recognize that I'm very respectful of Christian growth and of differing backgrounds and understandings. I, I want to, my heart is very gracious toward that. I have much need of growth. I need to grow in my own convictions and understanding. I can learn much from many others. I want to make that very clear tonight. The point I'm making is I've seen that used as a cop-out. Well, I'm just not convicted of that yet. Yeah, maybe it will be someday. Wait a minute. Does the Word teach it or not? It's time to get some conviction. It's time to get some conviction if I'm just not convicted of that. A couple more points. We want to have a song, a prayer. I want to invite you to ponder your own convictions as we do that. There's a proverb that says this. I like to remind young people of this proverb. It's very simple. It's really amazingly profound. It just says this. Our brothers called us to personal conviction, but I want you to recognize the blessing of surrounding yourselves as you're in a time of forming convictions with godliness and godly association. It, the proverb simply says, I can't give you the address, I could look it up. Take me a couple minutes. It says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I'll say it again. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Don't expect that you can lightly companion with fools very long and maintain godly conviction. I encourage you to choose to walk with wise men. And there is a time to reach out to, to, to be a blessing. We want to do that. We want to do that tomorrow at Central Washington University and other places. We don't want to look down our nose at anyone. That's not the point. The point is, walk with wise men. Don't companion lightly with fools. 
if you want to maintain godly conviction. Well, I'd like you to turn to the last song in this book. If not, there's not even a number. It's clear at the end. Climb up your golden heights. Clear in the back. Just a couple pages inside the cover. This song is called The Accolade to a Champion. The Accolade to a Champion. I'm thinking about it. This song was written for a convict. You can read the, the wording down at the bottom. It was a tribute that was paid by to a particular martyr who for the testimony of Christ went singing before his companions five other men, two women and a girl on the way to burning at the stake in Cologne, Germany in A.D. 1163. This was a convict tonight. It's a man with conviction. I want to shortly sing this together. Conclude with a word of prayer. And as we think about the time we've spent, yesterday, I know, was a convicting time for many of us. It was for me. As we men met here in the front of this room, on the floor, on our faces for a while, and as some of the sisters met in another room, and, and however they met together, and we talked about this issue of moral purity in 2014. And other teachings of the Word of God that we've been hearing about. And I know because I've talked to some of you that this thing is going to have to take some steps of action if it's going to be real before I ever leave this place. There's already some resolves being made. And Jesus said, if your right hand offend you, what did He say? Cut it off. Cut it off. <coughs> and not just cut it off, but take that thing in your left hand and cast it from you. If your right eye, if your eye offends you, what did he say? He said, pluck it out and cast it from you. That is getting serious with sin. When you're willing to endure the shame of a bloody stump for an arm, because you have resolved to follow Jesus with conviction. When men are, are, are that serious, there's results and there's change. And I believe we have some of that here this week. I just want you to consider tonight, I like to give an appropriate opportunity for you to respond to the conviction of your own heart as you consider returning from Bethel and those words, Alas, my brother! Alas, my sister! Will it be said of me? What conviction are you willing to make? What conviction is God calling you to tonight? A personal conviction to lay on the altar before the Lord that the words need not be, Alas, my brother! Alas, my sister! down the road. As we sing this song, if the Lord brings that clear to you, if you would like to make some response to that, you're welcome to kneel right here in front. If you'd like to kneel right where you're at, you're welcome to do that as well. Anyone, 
I ask you tonight, can you afford to just put it off and think, oh, think about this conviction thing somewhere down the road? For some of you, it's been hot tears. I can't go back to where I was. Will it be with me? Or will it be, alas, my brother? Let's sing this song together. We can all stand. I invite you, if there's a conviction that you would like to respond to in your own heart, and you're not ashamed to make that <coughs> clear, you can do it as you choose, but I'm inviting you to bow, whether it's where you're at or up here in front. I'm inviting you, lest it be, alas, my brother, and alas, my sister, climb up your golden heights. Let's sing. Climb up your golden heights, champion of the land. Oh, holy souls alive to follow Christ the man.
Oh, Father, we're not ashamed to bow with Daniel tonight. Lord, I think of the of another prophet one time who looked at an axe head at the bottom of a of, of a pool of water and he said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. Oh Lord, I don't want to say alas because of a borrowed conviction. I think of another group of people, Lord, in your word, someday looking at their businesses looking at their dreams and prosperity and their entertainment, saying, alas, for that great city, in one hour, the destruction has come. Lord, we don't want someday those that are left to look at our washed out compromises and say, alas, my brother, alas, my sister, Tonight, Father, you've called us to conviction. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant. Pray that you would bless him. Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters that are kneeling now before you. Lord, some of them have arms that they're sawing off. It's not easy, Lord. Would you bless them? Give them grace to be serious about it. Not just to to cut it off, but throw that stump out the window. Get it clear out. Have mercy, Lord, on this generation. When the Son of Man comes, shall He find faith on the earth? Yes, He will, Lord. We want to be among Your faithful. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the shed blood. Thank You for the grace of Christ. Father, thank You that it isn't a series of convictions, but it's the sacrifice of our Savior that has opened a door for us for salvation. We thank You for that and we acknowledge that freely and boldly tonight, Father. We're here before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But Lord, we know You're serious. And the Word of God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Lord, if we just call ourselves Christians and put a Jesus sticker on our life, but sow to our flesh, we're going to reap corruption. Tonight, Lord, we're resolving to ask you to build conviction in our hearts and that we would sow to the Spirit and reap by your grace life everlasting. Father, bless each heart. Bless these convictions tonight. We commit the evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen.